Welcome to Left Foot. We invite fresh conversation on business development. Now here's your host, Nicole Giantonio. Today's episode is sponsored by Doxly. Doxly's secure transaction management platform brings control, peace of mind, and velocity to legal transactions by centralizing checklists and reporting, tracking documents, tasks, and versions, and automating the entire signature management process. Corporate transactions simplified. For more information, go to doxly.com. That's D-O-X-L-Y.com. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Left Foot. Today's guest represented numerous government officials while an assistant U.S. attorney. He argued a case before the U.S. Supreme Court, and while in private practice, gained a reputation with another partner for representing victims of terrorism, handling close to a dozen cases. For the past six years, his career has been in-house. Marriott's SVP and Associate General Counsel for Dispute Resolution, Michael Martinez, welcome to Left Foot. Thank you very much. Great to have you as a guest on our program, Michael. What personal strengths or habits have allowed you to be successful transitioning to a role as in-house counsel? The best part of that transition, my entire career has been in litigation. And you mentioned the fact that I was an assistant U.S. attorney. I did that for 10 years and represented the government in a lot of different settings mostly on the civil side. So whenever the government would get sued for almost anything, I would handle particular cases and go to court. That gave me a lot of background experience, a lot of early court experience in my career. And then I was in private practice for a number of years and built on it from there. And I think all of that was a great baseline for transitioning into a job as head of litigation for the largest hotel company in the world now. I think of myself as a fairly low-key person, which may sound odd given I'm a litigator, but I've always tried to kind of blend those two things together. So you've been in-house now for a number of years. What was the most surprising thing early in your transition? What were you surprised to find would, would either be part of your responsibility or developed from you bringing your, your background into a role as in-house legal counsel? The most interesting and surprising thing for me, and it's it was a pleasant surprise, is in taking this job, I knew that I would be involved in the business of Marriott, you know, not just in, in litigating cases and overseeing litigation for Marriott. What surprised me and has continued to surprise me is how much I've gotten involved in the business of the company. A lot of what I do is what I'd call pre-litigation counseling. So we have meetings and talk about issues we see coming down the road, possible things that could lead to litigation. Can we resolve them before it gets to that stage. And in many cases, we are able to do that. And that necessarily draws you into the business of what this company does and how it does it. And does it make sense to try and resolve this or actually litigate it? And by the same token, that happens once a case has been filed and we've been sued. How do we handle that? Does it make sense to try and resolve it? Or is this one where we need to throw the marker down and dig in our heels and litigate it? With a brand as known as Marriott and all the different businesses that Marriott has, that it would be so important to avoid litigation. At times, I'm sure it does happen because it's the right thing to do to protect your organization, to litigate. Are there particular cases? Have you been able to standardize? We talk a lot about efficiency and we talk a lot about using the legal dollars in a way that's efficient for the organization. Are there certain cases that you tend to either settle or use the same approach so that you are being somewhat efficient in the way that you're settling those cases? 
I think that necessarily varies case by case. We've got a a certain amount of money we want to spend on litigation. We budget for litigation. I think there probably is not any way to say we standardize it, but at the same time, what we try to do is, with every case, look at it to determine the cost-benefit of litigating versus settling. I think really everybody does that. It just depends on what the case is and the setting it's in before we make a decision as to whether to do that or not. For example, we had one case where we had a management agreement with an owner of a hotel and they breached the contract. They wanted us out of the hotel and we left, but then we litigated for a couple of years over the breach. And we felt very strongly about that because our view is we can't have uh, owners just walking away from our management agreements when we've got a number of years left on them. That was an example of one where we dug in our heels and felt we needed to fight it. Ultimately, we reached a great result for the company. Obviously, you're getting involved in an agreement like that, and it's part of your strategy, and you want to be part of changing that strategy, not just being told it is going to change. So absolutely understand that. Just to add to that, I mean, one thing I'd say, and I told the general counsel when I first started this job, is that one thing that I thought made sense for the company was to pick cases where we could use them to our advantage. You know, sometimes when you get sued and you've got sort of the bigger picture of the litigation you're facing, you can sometimes use cases to your advantage to sort of advance a longer term goal of the company. Can you give an example where you've done that in in your tenure? Absolutely. Give you an example. We have another case where a hotel owner decided it did not want to be a hotel anymore, even though we had a management agreement with them. This hotel is in China. We said, fine, but you still have 12 years left on the contract. What are you going to pay us to satisfy the balance? And the owner said nothing. And so we took them to arbitration. Case is pending right now. And we decided to pursue it because this is in China. China is still very much a developing country in terms of contract enforcement and so forth that you have to deal with. And so we felt it was very important in this case to throw a marker down and show that if you're going to walk away from your contracts with us, that we are going to not take it lightly and pursue it. Maybe the economics of that case and the abstract may or may not have been necessarily worth going after, but it was the broader principle of us showing that if you're going to breach our contract, we're going to fight you over it that needed to be reinforced. No, absolutely. And I can see how important that would be in those global markets where you are establishing somewhat of a precedent, taking a position. Marriott uses outside counsel. The reason you and I are chatting today is I read in a publication that you're still using outside counsel and that it is part of your planning. It's part of your resource plan at Marriott to engage outside counsel on cases as needed. When you're evaluating outside counsel, what do you look for in those partners in the different firms or the specific lawyers that you're looking to partner with? Well, I think the most important thing for us is that our outside counsel be partners with us understand our business, understand what our goals are, understand the kind of company we are, be sort of in tune with that. So they learn our business, they learn how we operate, obviously be viewed by themselves and we view them as our partner. Short answer to your question is we want to see them as partners with us in terms of what we're doing, not only to litigate with us and work with us on our business issues, but also to participate with us in other projects partners with you basically saying that we understand Marriott's goals. Say there's a new partner that is interested in doing business with Marriott or a new law firm and a new entity could even be a legal tech vendor. What 
best practices would you recommend? I mean, I'm assuming there might be some purchasing involved in any decisions, possibly a legal purchasing department. Are there specific things that a partner who wants to work with Marriott should make sure that they are doing to earn your business? I think above all else, they've got to be a firm or a company that has a high level of integrity. Marriott's very proud of the fact that it has year after year been listed as one of the most ethical companies in the country and in the world. And we're very proud of that and strive to maintain that reputation because it's it's at the core values of this company and always has been. It's interesting that we're doing this talk today because this week is the 90th anniversary of the founding of the company. So there's a lot of sort of celebration, 90 years and how we've been successful and we've maintained the core values that the Marriott family founded the company with. The number one value with an outside law firm or vendor that may join us and work with us would be that they have the appropriate integrity. And then beyond that, I think it's just, are these people we can work with? Are they easy to deal with? For example, if a law firm is going to be working on a case for us, have a few days of lead time so that if they're writing a brief or a motion that we have time to review it because they're doing the work and they're doing the arguing in court, but we have to review everything and make sure it's in line with company policy and our view of what the law is. I mean, sometimes we disagree with you know our own lawyers about whether we should do it this way or that way. And we talk it through and and work it out. So a best practice would be making sure they give you that lead time or stick to a schedule, or at least it's interesting. What we hear a lot is even if you can't make the dates that we gave you, at least tell us you can't. (laughs) Don't surprise us by not making those. Exactly. And it's pretty funny. You probably have heard this from other lawyers you've talked to that that's not always the case. We get pressed for these deadlines sometimes. We hear a lot from our in-house counsel that the legal opinion, the legal discussion matters, but the business still needs to operate. And a lot of times the business has to operate with some speed because a decision has to be made. So you have to give them the best answer at the point that they actually need the answer, not three weeks later. And now a word from our episode sponsor. Legal transactions are complex and chaotic. Simplify with Doxly. With countless documents, revisions, and signatures to review, negotiate, and track, lawyers can get bogged down in administrative work and distracted from higher margin tasks that add value to a transaction. Doxly provides one solution to manage all aspects of your transaction practice. For more information, go to doxly.com. That's D-O-X-L-Y.com. This is a significant transition from the work that you did in private practice, the government work that you did, and and of course, the work you're doing now in-house. Can you share a success story of where you've actually seen or had the opportunity to work with an outside organization, either a firm, an LPO, or a technology organization, some outside entity where you were either surprised or pleasantly surprised at how well the relationship worked and what that look like so that our listeners who are lawyers looking to gain more new clients can really emulate that. One of the first cases that was going full bore when I got here involved the Edition Hotel in Waikiki. Edition was a new brand that the company had just started and got off to a little bit of a rocky start because it was launched about the time the economy went bad in uh, 2008, 2009, and so forth. And so the hotel in Waikiki opened a great fanfare. And about nine or 10 months later, right before I got here, the owner sued Marriott 
claiming that the hotel was being mismanaged by the company. That litigation started in, I want to say, the spring of 2011. And then in August of 2011, the owner did a midnight raid where basically Marriott was kicked out of the hotel and all of the employees were offered jobs that they had to decide within 24 hours whether they were going to stay loyal to Marriott or come over to this new management company that was installed. This, not surprisingly, led to a significant litigation on our side for breach of contract and so forth. The case then went into bankruptcy. And so we had a couple of different firms involved in it. We had Jenner and Block, who was handling the management of the case. And then we had Shepard Mullen, who was handling the bankruptcy side of the case because they had a particular expertise that we were familiar with in that area. And so we had several hearings in Honolulu. We negotiated our way through a number of different and significant legal issues and won some early successes, which allowed us to ultimately settle the case. We settled it on fairly favorable terms, which we were happy with. It was a good example of how our outside firms coming together and working with us did a really good job of partnering and collectively making decisions early on that helped us as we went further into the case and put us in a good position for actually getting it settled on favorable terms. Sounds like a good experience. We often hear from, especially organizations of Marriott size, there are a lot of good firms out there and they all want to work with you. They're interested in your business. You're going to get some really talented firms and really strong lawyers to work with, but it is great to hear when the experience does work well and they are truly those partners. How about an experience that didn't work so well? Obviously, you would think you would get the cream of the crop of any firm and that lawyers would be very attentive to the needs of Marriott as a client. Have you had an opposite experience? Not really. I mean, we've had one or two cases where the outside counsel we felt had billed us uh, significantly more than we thought we should be billed given the circumstance of the case, the length of time the case had gone on, and the fact that some of the arguments that had been made in more recent filings had been made earlier. And so I think we felt that some of the billing they were doing in these later filings, they could really have lifted from earlier briefs and not reinvented the wheel as we went forward. We've had one or two experiences where we felt that we were overbilled. You know, I picked up the phone and said, I think this bill is totally out of line with what it should be. And because it was a firm that we had worked with on many occasions, they agreed and cut back the bill significantly. Good legal work, but the billing, the price point was off. And do you have legal operations at Marriott or legal purchasing that would get involved in something like that? We don't really have legal operations or legal purchasing. Basically, the way that works with cases that come under my supervision is it's ultimately a decision that I'll make, sometimes in conjunction with the general counsel. It usually comes down to me. He'll typically ask me to just take care of it. Are you using the same firms pretty consistently or do you often seek specialist firms? And and if you do, what would be the decision to not use, quote unquote, the usual players and go look for a specialist firm to assist with the matter? That's exactly right. We use a lot of the same firms over and over again. Again, that's because, as I alluded to earlier, we view them as partners. They understand our business. We work well together. Having said that, there are occasions where we'll go outside of that. We had, for example, a significant antitrust case filed a couple years ago, and we went to a firm that I'd probably call a partner firm as well, but we don't use them as often. They had a particular expertise in this issue. Given the nature of the case, it was appropriate to use them, and we did, and we 
got a great result out of that case. And so, yes, we will definitely go outside of our normal group of firms for one reason or another. I think we are always open to considering using other firms, but with the idea that as a general matter, we use the five or six firms that we use pretty regularly. And those five or six firms have global practices that you're utilizing as well? Generally, yes. I mean, one or two of them, maybe not so much, but in terms of global, we use them for a variety of matters that they have expertise on that is right in our normal area of cases. And so it it makes sense to use them. There's so much going on in the legal space today with technology, with just the way cases are being handled, with actually the way cases are being billed. And we mentioned billing earlier, you're not basically going to some alternative fee arrangement, an appropriate fee arrangement, some kind of other types of ways of managing both the work, the relationships, and ensuring that you're representing your company in in a strong way. Are you seeing anything that you really see as new and innovative in the way that you're operating your area? No, not really. I don't think so. I mean, in terms of litigation, there's, I don't know that I'd say there's anything new or innovative. There's certainly new or innovative ways to bill, which which we always welcome. All of our firms occasionally come up with ideas. Kroll & Mooring, which is a firm I used to be a partner in, we use a fair amount and we used before I got here. They do a particularly good job, I think, of offering alternative fee arrangements, as do a number of our other firms as well. I'm always open to that. In terms of actual litigation and how we handle it, I don't really see anything new or innovative, except when you actually get into a court hearing or a trial, some of the graphics and trial support that the vendors can put together. That's all very interesting and sometimes very helpful. And those graphics and things would be coming from e-discovery partners or others that are really looking at data and volumes of data or not particularly? That's correct. That's pretty much who that comes from. The markets changed. You mentioned 2008 earlier. Business travel was affected by that. Building was affected by that. You know, since the markets changed, has that really affected how Marriott's going about doing business and litigating cases or, or not particularly? Possibly, Michael, it's the pressures you have to either manage to that budget that you've been assigned. We have a budget every year for litigation, but to a certain degree, I don't have any control over it because I can't control how much litigation gets filed against us. But the good news about the economy getting better is it seems to be a trend in the hospitality industry that when the economy is better, we get sued less. We have less litigation in one sense, but as the company has expanded, most recently with the acquisition of Starwood, obtained a number of new litigation matters that we didn't have before, which we're trying to work our way through. Marriott itself has gotten sued less. We actually probably have as much litigation right now as I've seen since I've been in the job just because we acquired this new company. I think we spent $13 billion to buy the company and we have new litigation that was legacy litigation with Starwood. We're working our way through that. But overall, I think it's a general trend in the hospitality industry that litigation declines as the economy gets better. We hope the economy continues to be getting better. In absorbing those additional cases, are you basically relying more on outside counsel or did you actually increase your in-house staff or possibly take some of the Starwood in-house resources? We took a good number of in-house Starwood resources. So I've got two additional attorneys on my team that were Starwood legacy attorneys. They obviously knew a lot about the pending litigation that Starwood had when we acquired the company. And that's been very, very helpful. And then, of course, since the merger, there have been new cases filed 
Wild, some of which are Starwood related, some of which are Marriott related. And then sometimes we get cases where the allegations are against both Marriott and Starwood. To some degree, there's this joint effort being perceived by the plaintiffs. Also, to some degree, because the plaintiffs can't figure out who to sue. We have continued to manage these cases, these additional cases, by being as efficient as we can using the firms that we had already, but also using the resources that these additional Starwood attorneys and paralegals have helped us with. Thinking back to your days in private practice, thinking back to the beginning of your career as a litigator, what advice would you give to those new partners, those that have just begun to actually take on responsibility as outside counsel to go out and grow their business and get accounts, hopefully like Marriott, in their book of business? What advice would you give them, how they would approach someone like yourself to basically earn your business? Be smart about it. It's interesting what I see all the time when a new case gets filed. I probably get at least 10 emails or phone calls, sometimes more, from lawyers I know and lawyers I don't know saying, hey, we saw Marriott got sued. We'd love to represent you in this case. Then I'm faced with deciding, what do we do here? Do we go forward with somebody that we're used to using? Do we try somebody new, et cetera? So that happens every time a new case gets filed. So if you're a new person who wants to try and get your foot in the door on one of these cases, I would like to know what's your expertise in this area. You know, to be honest, it's got to be somebody that we like. If we're going to be working with you and sharing time with you and sitting in the trenches, attending court hearings, depositions, whatever, we need to be able to get along with you, understand what you're doing, and it'd be helpful if you were personable and friendly and easy to deal with. A lot of that comes into play along with sort of the basic, you've got good credentials, you've got good experience, that sort of thing. Would it help if they were more proactive? Obviously, they see that the case has been filed, so now they want to represent you. Maybe they do that two or three times, and then you take notice of who that is. And that is being somewhat proactive, or would it be better to more proactively reach out to you, ask for some time, engage in a discussion about their firm? That's a good question, and I'm not sure what the answer to it is. I think, again, it varies case by case. I don't mind if someone is proactive, wants me to meet them and talk with them and get on my radar screen before a case gets filed. And I have done that on many occasions where somebody will say, hey, I'd like to grab a cup of coffee and talk to you about it, that sort of thing. And there's really no right answer to that, Nicole. It, it just depends on you know how things break in terms of timing and, and so forth. But I'm generally happy to listen to people's pitches and do it over a cup of coffee. I think that's a little little more low-key. I've heard this from other in-house counsel. We've got a number of organizations that are actually looking at outcomes before they make a decision. So they're asking lawyers, firms to basically say, this is how I would handle that. Do some upfront work even before they're awarded the matter to work on. Have you experimented with any of that or is that not come into your world at this point? It really hasn't come into my world directly. I mean, sometimes what happens is that if we get a new case, the, uh, person who sends it, sends me an email, will have written up some sort of analysis saying, here's how we would propose to handle the case. Here's what we see happening. Here's how we view the arguments, that sort of thing. Many times, lawyers who are reaching out to try and get my attention when a new case has been filed go to the trouble of mapping out how they see the case proceeding and what they would propose to do if we hired them to do the work. And that's exactly what some in-house counsel are actually requiring. I can see that as a business development approach. I wouldn't necessarily require It's hard to do in some cases, but it's always good to hear how the person who wants to get the business foresees handling it out of the box. 
obviously we recognize that if the first thing you're going to do is file a motion to dismiss, let's say that gets denied, then all bets are off. I think you have to reevaluate at that stage how you're going to proceed with the matter. You can sort of lay it out to a certain degree, but you can't give us a plan on how to proceed beyond that until you see what happens. Of course, and they don't have all the information. Exactly. There may be company information or background information about a particular case that they just don't know yet. And that'll, of course, drive how things go. You have an upbeat response to these questions. You seem quite engaged. It sounds like you enjoy what you do. Can you elaborate on what aspects of the work you enjoy most? You're absolutely right. I don't know how upbeat I sound. I absolutely love this job. It is a great job working for a great company. The issues are interesting. It's great being in the hospitality industry because we're all about making people have a good experience. It sort of naturally brings you into an upbeat mood every day you're here. When you add on to that, the fact it's a great company that cares about its employees and the variety of legal issues that we get to deal with, it just makes it that much better. It's really quite an honor to be able to go into court or go into proceedings and say, I represent Marriott. This is a great company and we're all very proud to work here. You're going to represent Marriott in doing the right thing and doing the right thing for the company and for your guests and and the people you work with and your vendors and partners. Excellent. Thank you. We appreciate you sharing your thoughts with our listeners. Any last points you'd like to share before we say goodbye? I hope all of your listeners like staying at Marriott's and we have a wide variety of hotels to stay at and hope you enjoy it. It's always a pleasure to hear people say when I tell them I work at Marriott, oh, I love your rewards point system or I love your hotels or something. It's always great to hear it. So I would encourage people to continue to do that and because I'll assure them that we're continuing to try and make staying at one of our hotels a great experience for people. Great last point. Mike, thank you. It's been a pleasure having you as a guest on Left Foot. Thank you, Nicole. I appreciate it very much. It's been very nice. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Left Foot. For information on our podcast, our 12-session business development challenge, and our online business development coursework, visit leftfoot.com. It takes focus and thought to lead with the left foot. Until next time. Thank you.